0: Welcome to the Data Diaries podcast and this special series on leading through the COVID-19 crisis for visitor attractions executives with your host, Angie Judge, Chief Executive of Dexibit, big data analytics for visitor attractions. Today, I'm here with none other than Dexhibit's own Victoria Elonia, data scientist extraordinaire and doctor of psychology. For a company that predicts and analyzes visitor behavior, The two go hand in hand in understanding the behavior behind the science. Welcome, Victoria. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. Well, let's start with a nice, easy question. How how does one go about predicting the unpredictable in a situation like COVID-19?
1: From a machine learning perspective, you can't predict the unpredictable. Uh, Machines are more accurate than humans at remembering events and predicting future events But they can't forecast the unpredictable. Uh, They require large amounts of historical data to train on before they can accurately forecast a future that looks very much like the data they were trained on. And and when they're confronted with new information that they have not been trained on, such as an unprecedented worldwide pandemic, uh, machine learning models suffer from catastrophic forgetting meaning they struggle to be responsive to new information while not being broken by it. Humans, on the other hand, and despite their many cognitive biases, can better effectively respond to new information by abstracting new information, updating their mental models, and generalizing from them to other domains, such as other crises.
0: So why is the psychology of visitor behavior, and behind that even how visitors think, Why is that important in trying to imagine what the future might hold for visitor attractions?
1: So I think in the most general sense, uh, visitor attractions' primary goals center around predicting and maximizing human visitation and engagement. And the cognitive and behavioral sciences seem like the most obvious tool through which to understand, predict, and affect those metrics. in terms of an uncertain future and the new post-pandemic world, uh, relying on psychological theory seems like the, the, it will provide the most future-oriented lens for solving these problems.
0: Hmm. So speaking about COVID-19, once lockdowns ease, and we start reopening our doors and we can imagine visitors at our venues or even simply public behavior, people going out for the first time into public spaces, we can see that it potentially will divide our population into like the fearless versus the fearful. How do you expect that to unfold?
1: I think it will depend. So the the peer-reviewed literature on post-pandemic behavior Suggests that the extent to which people feel fear will depend on many factors, including but not limited to their pre-existing psychology, how risk averse they normally are, but also their exposure to stressors, uh, the extent of that and the severity of that during the pandemic. Um, So that might include the loss of loved ones or or financial Mm -hmm. distress, as well as cultural factors and political factors, such as what kind of policy interventions are are used during this time. Uh, And then given this information, I think we might. Expect regional differences in post pandemic fearlessness or fearfulness, New York, for instance, may see bigger changes in post pandemic behavior than a less affected region in the u s or here in New Zealand, for example, and then most people generally come out of these types of experiences with greater resilience and more purpose. They will have reevaluated their worldview. they will have found some meaning in this event, and those people will will respond similarly. Uh, to how they did pre-lockdown. So we can expect their usual norms around risk aversion. Uh, but they might prioritize risk considerations differently. For example, people may generally be just more focused on hygiene or lack thereof as a risk factor. And older people may be more aversive to these types of risks. Uh, for instance, uh, older people generally show an increased sensitivity at health risks than young people Uh, who are more focused on peer related social risks
0: it's really interesting I've seen a little bit of chat and people online about evaluating different types of experiences as well of like you know going to a movie theater where you have to sit in the same room as other people shoulder to shoulder for a long period of time doing something that you could do at home versus going out to a ski field where you've got gloves on and goggles and you're quite you're in the great outdoors anyway you're quite far away from other people
1: for sure, for sure. I think ventilation plays a huge role.
0: <laughs> so a percentage of our population are going to be immune as well. How might we expect those people to behave? And, and even is that a very big population at all?
1: I don't think it's clear as of now the extent to which having had COVID-19 makes you immune to it. Many coronaviruses do not leave their victims immune to it in the long term which is why we get repeated colds. Assuming that having COVID-19 made you immune to it, I'd hypothesize that we would see a quicker and a steeper return to visitor attractions from those who are immune. Uh, But I also imagine that these would be affected by similar factors as those who are not immune. Um, For instance, immune people that have been severely affected, uh, they may show a slower return to normality than those who have not been severely affected by the coronavirus.
0: Mm, I guess too, for those people, like if we think about activities like volunteering at a hospital or going to the supermarket shopping, those are things that you can do as an individual. But going to visitor attractions, you have you normally do that with friends and family and it's um, it would be sort of a big leap to expect that um, immune people would be immune in their normal social groups as well, right?
1: For sure, for sure. I think that's a great point.
0: So what about, you were talking about older people, for example, so our at-risk audiences, um, immunosuppressed to presume falls on that group as well. What sorts of behaviours can we expect from those sorts of demographics?
1: I think that we can expect them to take longer to return to visitor attractions than younger people. Mm. As I mentioned earlier, older people are more sensitive to, to health risks and they're more susceptible to the more severe effects of, of COVID. So we would imagine that they would be responsive to that. And I don't know about this, but we can imagine that the media might play a role in their risk perceptions. And we know that young and older people rely on different types of media to inform their realities. In terms of immunosuppressed people, I think it's reasonable that they would show a similar decreased rate of return, but I assume that they'll be also affected by the same factors that other people are which is how severe their exposure has already been and what their what their normal levels of risk perception are
0: it's funny i think when i when i talk to my friends and family um those of us who have got immunosuppressed family members at home they've been exceptionally cautious and and very wise in how they manage themselves but when we all think about our parents i think a lot of our parents sort of fall into the category of you know i hear a lot of my friends um giving their parents very strict instructions to stay at home and not always hearing uh, having their parents hearing those instructions so it's really interesting i think that older group are potentially quite polarized and those who sort of are firm believers in doing what they were going to do anyway versus those that are making that risk assessment
1: yes i agree immunosuppressed people May be more used to worrying about these types of risk, especially currently, they face risk from losing herd immunity due to an increase uh, in vaccine skepticism and the return
0: of certain diseases. Tell me about um, we we hear in on the data science now shifting gears a little bit. We hear a little bit about these economic shapes of recovery after big events, um, the V's and the U's, and discussions of pent up demand or slow linear or adoption waves. What do all those sorts of consumer behaviours around spend mean in an economic sense?
1: Uh, So these curves represent economic recoveries from an economic downturn. And the shape of the recovery depends on a bunch of factors, Um, one of which is the amount of uh, money people have or how much they expect to have later. But another is government policy. So how much in a time, especially like this, where there's very limited things that people can do uh, to keep their jobs, for instance, uh, government economic stimulus really will affect the curve as well as how they respond from a public uh, health perspective. So what kind of public health interventions we can expect those to impact the, the shape of these events?
0: And so if we look at places that have had major events before, and scary events as well, like Japan after the tsunami and the nuclear disaster, um, that was exactly the same time within a few weeks that we'd had the Christchurch earthquakes here in New Zealand, which were devastating. And of course, going back a decade again, there was 9-11 in New York. What can we learn in the visitor attraction sector from what happened in the economies and industries back then or... even in terms of public behavior for how people live in the aftermath of those sorts of events? How do they compare to the pandemic we're experiencing now?
1: I think this is a really exciting avenue for research for machine learning models, at least, because machine learning models are, are sort of new to this and uh, using data from these events will be helpful for us in, in being able to predict these sorts of things later. So we can use the data from these events and investigate how they might interact with other factors to affect visitation. And we might be able to create a crisis model. So training a machine learning model on crisis data so that later when future crises occur, we, we have... Uh, a training knowledge base that a machine learning model can predict from. And then in terms of psychology, we have much more data on how people respond to to massive crises than we do just pandemics. And we find that people respond similarly. People are shockingly resilient. Uh, we do see increases in PTSD based on the severity of trauma. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see increases in symptoms uh, for people with pre-existing conditions. And so they experience slower recoveries, obviously financial stress. We can see increased political tension Uh, depending on what the situation was uh, when the crisis occurred. I think one of the things that we haven't gotten to see as much in this scenario that we're talking about is that these types of experiences bond us together in profound ways. So we usually respond as humans with altruism and cooperation at least within our in-groups, to one another. And I think this is one of the traits that makes us really unique among other species, Mm -hmm. our ability to cooperate um, and bond around sort of an idea or an experience. So I think visitor attractions behavior matters right now. People remember how people and institutions treat them when they're vulnerable. And so being community-oriented, demonstrating solidarity, these things can increase loyalty
0: yeah even after the fact um i I remember down in in Christchurch when we had the earthquakes uh just the the being totally amazed at the way the community responded and how institutions cultural or otherwise um really sort of built community around them and that's that's lasted for years and years after the fact and you see sort of newspaper articles of people lining up at gun shop gun shops and things in the face of pandemic but it, it it isn't that sort of lord of the flies behavior we see in reality is it? it it is that um that community and that positive vibe that really arises from situations like this so what about um uh, in asia so for a start asia has been through this more than once for covid-19 china is is now several months ahead of the rest of us what have, what have we been seeing over there is it pin-tap demand like everybody's hoping for? Is it more a case of slow growth?
1: Well, I think this depends too. So we're seeing some attractions, especially outdoor attractions, being mobbed. Uh, For instance, this week, a popular scenic area had to be closed twice due to the large number of tourists. But I think we're seeing a much slower growth curve for indoor attractions, despite these indoor attractions doing things like decreasing the capacity, having time to visitation, and hygiene interventions, so so I think that might be something we can expect in the rest of the world
0: and is that caution a cultural thing? um you know should we be expecting the same sort of results in the states, or do we think, say, for example, in the u s that it's going to be more polarized? is it going to be generational?
1: Culture does seem to interact with other factors to impact our perceptions of risk. Uh, Americans, for instance, seem to be more attuned to risk factors that challenge their individual liberties um, rather than uh, their health or safety. Um, and aper- Americans appear to trust their government far less than, for instance, New Zealanders. Uh, and in the places that have been researched post pandemic, they have found that political polarizations tend to increase uh, post pandemic. So I can imagine these factors interacting uh, to affect how people perceive risk uh, post pandemic. And I'm not sure the extent to which polarization is generational. But I think there's some research that policy perceptions often take a generation to change, uh, which we can see particularly uh, with climate change beliefs.
0: Mm, I guess we'll uh, we'll both get a very quantitative view of the world uh, by the end of the year with elections in both countries as well. Uh, now, I've seen a couple of surveys that are asking people to rate their likelihood to visit a visitor attraction and then try and extrapolate for the world how the public might react post pandemic. How reliable are these types of surveys in actually predicting human behavior in reality? Do people tend to do what they say that they're going to do?
1: No, I think we should always be skeptical about conflating self-report with behavior. Um, first, there is some research on this uh, and the research that was done, they concluded that there was no significant relationship between people intent to revisit a place and their actual <laughs> revisitation of that place. So that is definitely been Falsified to some degree, uh, and then in terms of self-report and human behavior, we're not very good at knowing what we think. Um, mm-hmm. They call it introspective blindness, but there's there's a great paradigm about choice blindness where you can ask people, for instance, which jam do you like better, or which picture do you like better, and when you you uh, let the person choose which picture or which jam or whatever the the object is, and you return to them the opposite one, the one that they rejected. And you find that way too few people even recognize that an error has been made. And and a lot of people go about justifying why they chose the one that they rejected. So it looks like we are, our reports on events are something we sort of justify post hoc. We don't necessarily know what causes us to do things and and we try to explain it after it happens.
0: Mm. So wishful thinking in action then, huh? I think so. <laughs> and I know a lot of pe- places are traditionally dependent on tourism, and, and they're now sort of switching up their strategy to think about staycation marketing to attract locals to come and play when they can't go further afield uh, with uh, travel restrictions. Um, and this could be especially effective in cities where residents on a typical day in normal times feel that they can't enjoy themselves because of all the tourists around is that potentially an opportunity to play on with advertising a bit like in wales where all the people are gone and suddenly the goats are taking over the streets
1: i think this is going to be fascinating to watch it's a fascinating experiment i think this is a good hypothesis. People, and we've seen a lot of resentment of, of tourists sort of taking over people's towns. Uh, I think I've, I've read about this with Venice and with Barcelona, where, where people couldn't even afford to live in the city uh, that they worked uh, because of tourism. So I wonder uh, whether we'll see a reclaiming of, of people's places and a sort of reengagement with their attractions.
0: New York is the same too, isn't it? It's uh, often so overrun with uh, tourists.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think that there's a desire to engage the locals with their own attractions. We could expect them to engage more. And, and there seems like a huge opportunity in terms of advertising.
0: We all say it, don't we, when we have visitors to our own town and they go out and do all these fun things. And we do always say we haven't been out there and done those things ourselves. So it's our opportunity in life to go and enjoy our own backyards. Yeah, yeah. And what about pricing? So we see all sorts of behavioral things when it comes to pricing, even in normal times. And again, it's another hard one. You can't really ask somebody what they're going to pay for something because they have such trouble self-reporting on that. What, what's the view here? Do we need to discount to get people out of their homes or is it going to be a case that they're just determined to get out and have fun and, and they should be prepared to pay full price to do that?
1: I think this, like everything else, is going to depend on a huge amount of factors. Um, one of which, the most obvious of which seems like financial stress. So so crazy's like uh, COVID tend to cause a huge amount of financial stress and and financial markets recover much faster than individuals' bank accounts or portfolios. Mm. Uh, and, and financial losses as a result of pandemics and quarantine appear to cause individuals' significant socioeconomic stress. Uh, and they're a risk factor for developing symptoms of anger and anxiety in the months following quarantine. Seems pretty obvious that people in lower economic brackets recover much more slowly and are much more vulnerable than people in higher income brackets. Um, So in addition to causing increased psychological distress, financial stress also causes people to spend less money on luxuries. Uh, such as travel or eating out, uh, entertainment. And, and visitor attractions that appeal to middle to lower income brackets uh, should be cognizant of this. Uh, they might look for ways to provide discounts, particularly to these demographics. While higher income brackets may also spend less money, they they have quicker recovery times. And, and through travel restrictions or because of travel restrictions, they may be more likely to invest more heavily in their local communities and and um, visitor attractions that are associated with higher levels of cultural prestige may find themselves benefiting more from domestic tourism from these higher income brackets
0: and even also philanthropic nature to some of that isn't it of sort of this patriotic view of supporting local businesses or in the cultural sector perhaps supporting supporting the arts by engaging with them
1: Yeah, yeah, I think we will see that. And I think we'll see brand loyalty play a role here as well where people want to give back to the to the museum that they could go to, you know, at a certain moment in their life, or, or that spoke to them at a certain moment.
0: Mm. Yeah, I know a lot of the, um, when we're thinking about advanced passes and memberships, a lot of visitor attractions have had to go back with options on how they respond in consumer policy, you know, do they refund or reschedule, and a lot of them have asked both non-profits and for-profit companies for people to donate, you know, if they've bought a bought a ticket in advance pass for the future to actually just convert that into a donation and been really surprised with the positive reaction that they've had even in a crisis which is affecting their consumers and that those people have been willing to convert that ticket to a donation.
1: That's wonderful yeah I think people's generosity is it's surprising even when they're in crisis.
0: So what other sorts sorts of things should we um, think about when we're hypothesizing about different behaviors once we open and what we might need to do about them. I'm thinking, you know, will people be concerned with food that's prepared by others in our cafes and, and therefore favor sort of pre-packed uh, food? Will they have an aversion to standing in a queue perhaps and, and go more for virtual queuing options or... Might they be afraid to touch a digital interactive screen or a kiosk and, and need a BYD option? What sorts of things should we cast down this and think about now?
1: I think we can expect that people will be more concerned with social distance and hygiene and that interventions related to this will boost trust, confidence and visitation being communicative, transparent, and using evidence-based interventions can increase trust and confidence. There are some real opportunities here to change the way we do things that may solve related problems. For instance, idleness aversion describes people's dislike of doing nothing and waiting in line, I'm sure many people know, is an ongoing frustration for people. So investing in applications that allow people to wait in line digitally uh, will not only have big paybacks in the wake of a pandemic and with social distancing requirements, but also long-term benefits and just reducing this problem overall. For the immunosuppressed and elderly, having dedicated visitation hours for them and for their families may also facilitate their return to visitor attractions, um, particularly in combination with transparent hygiene protocols.
0: Thank you so much, Victoria, for sharing your experience with us. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, and if I can leave any, everybody with a,
1: with a nice note, Or silver lining is that even though we're in weird, unpredictable times, humans have experienced things like this over tens of thousands of our evolution. And one of the the really nice things is that we act in predictably nice and cooperative and pro-social ways. So I'm hopeful that and and we're already seeing evidence
0: that the humans are are cooperating more and and being more loving to Mm -hmm. one another. For more coverage on the COVID-19 crisis, including podcasts, webinars, resources, and community, go to www.dexhibit.com forward slash COVID-19. And we'll see you next time.